All right. Brendan Hartford and Sean McKay back again for a little post C-Tech podcast. Uh, Brendan, what's up, man? Not much. How you been, Sean? How's everyone? How's everybody doing? Doing good, man. Been traveling a bunch, so it's been a little... We had to wait a little while before we could synchronize our schedules to, to knock this out. Yeah, yeah. Hit. Uh, I know you stayed around for some. I had to leave right from the meeting, so I've been running ever since. Yeah, kind of like a quitter a little bit. A little bit, a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I still have a little bit of that left in. Nah, that's good, man. Yeah, I left straight from there, went to the CFED conference, which we'll talk about here towards the end. Um, anyways, yeah, we... Uh, we're going to do kind of a, a quick run-through of some of the C-Tech stuff and some of the stuff maybe that was discussed that wasn't on the Facebook stream, I guess is what it's called. And uh, <laughs> so, so – which is funny because actually you got it today. Today was the very first time I ever signed up for Facebook, man. I know. I know. Isn't uh, that crazy? I, I sent like a friend invite to you and everything. And that, today literally is the first time I've ever gotten a Facebook account, man. I put well, that off. was the first friend that – friend invite i ever got so i was honored <laughs> yeah i uh it got to the point man where there's like these facebook working groups and all this other crap there's like no, almost no way around it man that uh freaking Truth geeky not. ass redheaded dude who owns it man's like forces you into this stuff it's terrible right <laughs> whatever be like the what's up <laughs> Almost like the IRS. It is, man. It is. All right, so you want to start it off. So the first couple things we have on there, uh, I don't think there's a whole bunch to discuss. Um, And like I said before, a lot of the lectures we won't go super into just because they are posted, right? We can go onto our Facebook, the CTEX Facebook page, um, and I think that something on the website, too, has some of the videos. So you can actually watch the the presenters give their uh, their topics there which is which is cool so we won't go hugely into it we'll just kind of discuss some high points or whatever or things that got discussed afterwards but where do we start we got the board of directors update since you're the guy who writes all this stuff down and the executive director position you want to throw down yeah so uh you know as always reed smith opened up the meeting for us and then he got into the board of directors report and uh, probably the biggest thing coming out of that was he he introduced our new executive director sarah kessler um, which, you know, first time I met her, very nice lady, very uh, interested in working with CTAC, very uh, uh, excited about being part of the group. And uh, since the meeting, I've had a couple of people reach out to me trying to become a uh, uh, recognized education uh, providers. And uh, I've forwarded their request to Sarah, and she's been spot on right on it. So uh, I think she's going to be a... a Big asset to c Yeah, she seems to be keeping everything a lot more up-to-date between social media, website, all that kind of stuff, man. So that was much needed. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, she's she's keeping us on task for uh, making sure we uh, check our schedules and are available for, you know, the, the phone board meetings and stuff like that. So that's good. Somebody to keep us honest. Yeah, I hear you. No, that's cool. Oh, yeah. And, by the way, for everybody listening, we're doing this over Skype, so there might be, like, some fade-in and fade-outs of... Uh, in here based on what we got going for internet speed here but anyways all right so then we hit uh, uh some of the international groups uh discussed and you guys will be able to see that but the one highlight of it i think is the australian tactical medical association uh group so they got up there and briefed a little bit do you have any notes on that and i'll take off on some of the other stuff with them no actually i was uh i was gone by the time they got up there i had to leave early to get back home uh 
was not there for their presentation. All right, so they they um, I was because I care, right? Because I'm I. <laughs> Because I because I because I, right. I give a shit right I have a big heart. Uh, no, they were they were phenomenal, man. Those guys are some funny ass dudes, man. Um, yeah, they they are they're hysterical. So they just came off. They actually came out and uh, and let a lot of our listeners, especially from the United States, hear this. They came in and kicked ass in the uh, Thames competition and the tactical oh, yeah. EMS competition and got first place. Uh, that went on you know right pre Soma there. Uh, beforehand, so they came in and took number one, which is is awesome for them. And they're hysterical, man. Those guys were funny as heck. Uh, but the big thing is, is they do have a conference coming up, uh, the Australian Tackle Medical Conference, and that's going to be in Brisbane, in uh, Queensland, and it's going to be September twentieth and twenty first. So, if by any chance you can get out there or get your department to pay for you, yeah, there's going to be some really good good lectures there, and it should be a real good time. Uh, I believe since it is in Australia and after getting to hang out with those dudes a little bit, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say there may be some beer involved. Um, There's that possibility. Uh, But Mike Schertz is going to be, Dr. Mike Schertz is going to be presenting there too and along with a couple other people from uh, C-Tech. I think that's... That's right. Yeah, I I would... I'd have an easier time get my department to okay pay for me than get my wife to let me know. But yeah, must. <laughs> possibly, possibly. Yeah. yeah, I might take a look at my. I'd like to try and get there. Obviously, schedules are filling up quick, so I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to make it, but uh, that, that looks like it's going to be a really good conference, and uh, I think this is their first one. So, so yeah, that's, uh, that's with them. Got to hang out with them a little bit during that week. Really solid, solid guys, man. Um, great people to link up with. What else we got going on there? Improving survivability. There was an analysis of the, uh, what was it, the autopsies from the Pulse nightclub that uh, that was presented. So that original paper came out, and on that I want to say uh, Reed was on there. I know Joffrey was on there uh, and a few others, but I think we got some of that. If you go to the Facebook page, they kind of break it up a little bit onto where those wounds were and what was potentially preventable, and I think Along with that, you just got to be careful jumping to conclusions, right? We just did an in-depth one that got released for San Bernardino that we'll talk about a little bit. But autopsies are not the easiest thing to even look at and say that you had a potentially preventable cause of death. You know, even when you get into something that's in the extremity, if you have something where it says in the autopsy like it's a femoral artery, uh, at least the ones, a lot of the ones that we, we dealt with, with that we had to review, you know, it measures from centimeters up from the heel of where the injury is, you know, and now you're trying to average that with the patient. Everybody has different sizes, you know, with their with their legs and their upper bodies, whether they're in proportion or not. And was this actually something that that a tourniquet could have been used for, or something that you could have packed, or was it going to be a junctional device, which is which is very difficult to to check out. The other side of it is people just, you know, obviously a lot of people listening to this will realize it, but you can't put a bigger stressor on it. It's it's well known in the military, but there's still a learning curve in the civilian side of understanding that time is a comorbidity during these events. Um, yes, yeah. somebody may have died to something that, that was readily treatable, but the fact is, is because of the threat and because of the time it took to clear the response times and, and all these other nonlinear things that are going on, you can't get to them. You can't make access to them yeah. at that time, you know, whether it's because of still an active threat or a potential IED or because of, of a number of things you may not be able to, to be able to get there in that window of opportunity that you can make an impact in. And that's where obviously the potentially preventable comes into. 
yet, you know, these are autopsies. So whether you miss the window or something went wrong in the treatment modality or whatever, you just can't really jump to too many conclusions when you're looking at autopsy data. Yeah, and I think you hit on the thing about the the time factor. I think a lot of people not that well versed in you know the tactical realm, uh, for lack of a better term, um, really don't understand that time concept. They think, oh, you know, uh, just get there and treat it, no problems. Well, it's not that simple. You know, uh, for all the reasons you laid out, plus more. That's a education thing we have to work on with people that want to be part of our world, but you know, don't necessarily have the experience or the knowledge base. Right, and I think that you know when people look at that. So just to you know, I would suggest anybody. There's a pie graph I think on the Facebook page for CTEC. Uh, if you pull up the paper itself, you'll see it in the conclusions. And basically, when you look at the results, uh, I believe that there was actually I read it right off this. Let me pull it up here. Uh, there were an average of 6.9 wounds per patient. 90% had a gunshot to an extremity, 78% to the chest, 47% to the abdomen and pelvis, and 39% to the head. 16 patients, which was 32%, had potentially survivable wounds. So they're saying that potentially survivable what took up 32% or 16 patients. Nine or 56% of whom had torso injuries. Four, per, uh, four patients had extremity injuries, and two involved femoral vessels, and two involved the axilla. No patients had documented tourniquets or wound packing prior to arrival to the hospital. One patient had an isolated C6 injury, and two victims had unit hemisphere gunshots to the head, gunshot wounds to the head. So when we're looking at this, I think the big thing that people need to, to, to understand is, is we can't really look at that data and be like, you know, right off the bat, like, Let's take the extremity, for instance, just because tourniquets are, are something that everybody's talking about right now. And they, they look at that and, and think, oh, my gosh, you know, four people had extremity wounds that, that they potentially died from. If you would have just had tourniquets, you would have saved them. Yeah, not really. Not necessarily, right? Because we don't know the frame of that, that those could have been the people that were shot originally, right? And they had been dead for a while before anybody even made contact with them, Right. So, or, or yeah, it's, it, it's involving that, but it wouldn't have been something that a tourniquet or something very easily packed would have taken care of. So we just got to kind of keep that in context. It doesn't de-emphasize the fact that you should have tourniquets. You should have things to cheat chest, uh, chest wounds with. You, you should have all these things available. But when we look at that hard data, we can't say, like, oh, yeah, they, they died because a responder didn't put a tourniquet on. Uh, when in reality, when we look at autopsy data, they very well could have already been deceased well before anybody even was able to get to them. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, you have to, you just, you, like you just hit it on head, you got to put it in the context of, you know, the event. And, and I think it's, it, anybody who's familiar with that event and has pulled up the, even the nine one dispatch, like it was obvious they were in there for a while. There were people that were shot in there for a while. And right. uh, just because of the way that that whole response came about, uh, where it kind of turned into you know a seemingly more of a barricaded type of event when he was in the bathrooms with these people, before it basically came to to more of a direct action. So you just the hardest thing is just not to armchair quarterback on that is to try and put it in context and realize that once you dig into it, it things become much more nonlinear, much more com- confusing. Definitely not a direct 
correlation can be drawn when we're just looking at these autopsies and uh, not being able to tell when in that whole time spectrum they were actually shot. So I think holding right. the, the context is very, very important when you're looking into that. But what you can take from it is the fact that, yeah, in the end, this is where the wound distribution was. And if you're responding, you better have the capabilities to manage that if you're able to get to a patient in time and mitigate with some sort of treatment. Right. Exactly. You, that last statement you just made is is, is, is so true, you know, because you see so many people that want to armchair quarterback this and try and delve into uh, the tactical operation itself and critique that. Well, that's not our role. You know, identify the wounds, the them, and when we come upon them, treat them as best we can. The, the other part of it, that's that's for the SWAT commander. That's for the, the chain of command to handle. I understand everybody has opinions about it, but let's kind of stay in our lanes and you know work with and perfect what we know best. Right, and it, I mean even if you look at some of the data with uh, with people that bleed out going into irreversible shock, the the old TC three data that's still relevant, right, for the battlefield and stuff today. You know, in the how long does it take to bleed out from the femoral artery? I think everybody at one point or another have seen that in a presentation. You know, where they're three and a half to four minutes right after you know three minutes with this type of injury to your femoral artery, you'll be in irreversible shock, etc. And if you keep that time frame, if, if somebody's going in on an active shooter and, and they happen to be one of the first ones shot, and that is the exact injury that they have, and then you think about the response times. And you're looking at that four-minute time period. You know, if you're early on getting shot, you know, the preventable is still going to come out as a potentially preventable cause of death, except you very well could have been dead for a while before anybody even passes you as far as the response element goes. Right. right. So, you know, keeping the time and the threat level and that spectrum relevant when you read these things is, is vitally important. All right, moving on. Um TCC for first uh, receivers. So that's kind of the. I don't know if you have anything to add on there. I think that the presentation is on there, and it's pretty pretty mm-hmm. straightforward. But it obviously is a set of guidelines going towards first receiving hospitals that may not be trauma centers, and some of the things that they can do to rapidly stabilize and get that casualty out to uh, a trauma center where surgery things like that can be done. And it's one of those cases where you may be in a rural area and you are the closest facility. So automatically everybody comes to you you just don't have the facility set up to treat those types of injuries effectively uh with the amount of people you may have coming towards you exactly and i and i think that's so important because with these last incidents we're seeing so many people that are self-reporting to the hospitals yeah so i mean they're you know civilians don't really you know not that they don't understand what a level of trauma would be, but they just don't know what hospitals are and what capabilities. So all they know is there's a hospital. I have somebody that's hurt. We're going to a hospital. So. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, too, because I talked to a couple of people um, that run some of the emergency management for municipalities that involve hospitals. And then I was out at the, that CFED conference in California and was able to talk to some of the people that were there. were hospital-based and nurses and things like that, and it's amazing how much work that hospitals are now having to do where they're actually setting up and getting tarps and mass casualty uh, MCI kits for their hospital after instances like Aurora where you had, you know, 25 plus people taken by police car. So they didn't even know Mm -hmm. they were coming. 
and all of a sudden right. these cop cars are thrown up with no pre-arrival, no patient information, no triaging, no anything. And the next thing you know, you've got a bunch of, of patients out in the, uh, like literally right in the uh, waiting room, the entrance to the hospital. And now they're actually having to work uh, a mass casualty plan where they're having to do everything from the get-go as if they were arriving on scene and had no you know, pre-warning that anybody is even coming in. And next thing you know, they're, they're inundated with you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 patients that, that are all GSWs and trying to make sense of that. So the hospital side, I think, is, is really needs to get a plan going because it's happening with more frequency, you know. And we've already seen it, you know, overseas and bombings and things like this where people are just thrown into whether it's police vehicles or private vehicles and rush there. Obviously, you had those instances in Las Vegas also where people were taken by, you know, private vehicle to hospitals and raced out and evacuated. Yep. Yeah, I agree with you. I've been doing some work uh, here locally in my area with some um, – fire department ems personnel about that specific issue um, just because the hospitals in our area seem so i don't know if they're blind to it or just don't think it's going to happen or whatever their reasoning is they don't really have a plan like you were just talking about they need to get one and you know working on with some people that hopefully come up with some plan to help mitigate that you know still ultimately have to get the hospitals to buy into it but something where if you have the assets instead of sending every single ambulance to the, the the incident send them to some of the hospitals for them to handle that influx of self-reporters even if it's just an ambulance or two to right. start the triage but you know there's many ways to skin a cat it's just like you said have a plan yeah and that's that's kind of it so there was uh, the NTA did an RTF course update uh, where they're starting at and, you know, I think the biggest thing with that is keeping I'm trying to think about this in a, in a really politically correct way. <laughs> Don't like start up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's important that everybody doesn't get hung up on this is how we have to do it. Right. Because that's not a thing for yeah. rescue task force. And so right after SOMA um, and. and We'll talk about this in a little bit, but we, I did that CFED, and I did two two presentations there. One was creating a realistic CCP and rescue task force model, and the other one was kind of demystifying active shooter responses and not sucking at what you do. And you know, with that, I, I think the the biggest thing about that is there there is no one technique on how to run an RTF. You know, uh, we said this before. You know, when Reed and Arlington Posse kind of coined that term is that was always what they said. You know, this is how we did it. This is how it fits into our system, but yours is going to be different. And at some point we just, everybody feels like we got to codify this thing. And once you codify it, you handcuff yourself to say that, Hey, we're doing an RTF and there's uh, a minimum of four, you know, four officers and a minimum of four or six, you know, fire personnel. And this is how you're moving in and this is how you're doing. And, I mean, that briefs so well on a whiteboard and then falls to shit so quickly on an actual event. You know, when, when your, your roundtable plan meets the nastiness of, of real world, things don't turn out awesome at all. And so if we, we do these very strict RTF things of unrealistic, untested type of, of TTPs, 
it's gonna it's gonna bite you in the ass. And if your TTPs don't allow for the availability of calling audibles, then you may want to reconsider what you're doing. Just because if you think you can predict that next event and exactly how that's gonna roll out, that's probably a problem. I couldn't agree with you more, dude. I mean, we I think we touched base on it on the last podcast. Yeah. I mean, I know you and I talked about it ad nauseum. You know, you got to keep it principle based. You know, and push the authority down to the to the to the lowest level for people to make decisions right you know, like you said call an audible when it's required and so we're I'll, I'll kind of jump ahead just because we'll we'll have to come back to this thing and that would only key into my adhd more so so i'm going to do um a couple things for the c-tech is i'm going to do video cast just like we did for the ccp one on the presentations we gave at cfed and i think hopefully that'll give people some ammo because in the end a lot of these guidelines that come down the people that that respond to them know that these really strict sops are not going to work but you're you're arguing against higher level people or doctors or, or you know dhs personnel or whoever the heck is is putting this down your throat or whatever or telling you this is this is how it needs to be the problem with that is they don't have any data to support that right so that makes it easy right off the bat like when somebody starts to say hey can you can you show me a couple instances that have different contexts with various size organizations where the these sops that you're putting out have been validated and that'll not happen right, right? it's not going to happen at all because even if some response went really well one area does not mean it's going to go the same in your city because it's going to be a different threat. It's going to be a different assaulter. It's going to be a different context. And that's going to change, right? That's complexity theory, right? So you can't predict it. No two events are going to be going to be the same. No two responses are going to be the same. So to have something strict that gets fed down there. So I think if nothing more, what we'll, tr- what we'll try and do in these, these presentations is give the end user the ability to effectively counter what is being put there, giving them the the actual academia of of, of chaos theory, nonlinear complexity, um, that type of of response, and what that environment is to show that what's being pushed down or shoved down your throat that you feel is not applicable for your response is inaccurate, and it just gives you it gives you wiggle room to be able to fight and argue it effectively, so it doesn't these stupid things don't go straight down through to where you're not going to realize it's going to suck until you actually respond and be like, wow, that really sucked. So, yeah, no, I agree with you. so we'll put it out. Yeah, we'll put it out on, on when we, when we do the video cast and hopefully that'll be this week. But if nothing else, it'll just give you the ammo that you'll need to, to create some sort of counter fire on stupidity. So anyways, moving on. Um, Maybe you can hit on this a little bit. Arlington County, they, they talked about their, their uh, CCTA grant first responders uh, resource library. Uh, and then a little bit of update on the NFPA 3000, which I think we went into pretty good detail in our last one. Yeah, uh, Mike Marino gave a nice presentation on NFPA, 3, NFPA 3000. And uh, uh, Jeff got up and talked about the whole uh, TCC grant that uh, Arlington County got in um, to not necessarily well, curriculum is already created, but to go out and and do trainings in their their general area. Um, anybody that's interested in those, both of those presentations are on a 
streaming video, um, I would recommend if you're not going to watch the whole live stream video, at least uh, uh, check out Mike's and Jeff's presentation. Some good information there. Right um, especially the NFPA 3000, there seemed to be a lot of confusion about that, especially because it's coming from NFPA and you know some of the other agencies have a little con- or, or other other professions might have a little confusion. Well, why is the NFPA putting out something for you know that applies to law enforcement or EMS or blah blah blah? So Mike explains that a little bit too, which I believe we talked about in the last podcast, didn't we? No, oh, yeah, yeah. And I think I think but, as I see it, man, I'm I'm like very much against like fight the power, anti, yeah, medical and tactical establishment force and crap down you that that doesn't make sense for your organization. But I will say that the way NFPA three thousand is is right. We do we do NFPA ten oh six courses throughout. U.S. SOCOM um, because the way it's written, right? We talked about that. They they don't they don't handcuff you with what kind of kit do you have to use? Um, what what's your safety factor? What technique? All it is is you know can you ascend a rope? Can you descend a rope? Can you create a you know single point anchor, multi point anchor, a uh, simple mechanical advantage, a compound mechanical advantage? How you do it is how you do it based on the equipment you have. And NFPA right. three thousand is written in a very similar way. It tells you those principles that. You should be prepared to do, right? You should be able to do, you know, let's say an RTF or a law enforcement, HC law enforcement rescue. You should be able to provide TECC. You should be able to do X, Y, and Z. How you do it is how you do it. That It's based on your organizational assets. It's how you accomplish that, that end state is, is up to you, right? What kit do you want to use? Pick it, right? Whatever you can to reach that. So they don't handcuff you in any way like that. And, you know, the other side is exactly what you said is we have to realize that there's a ton of other organizations out there from DOD to industrial to all these that use NFPA guidelines. So just because the the F in it stands for fire, um, you know, people think that it's just fire specific, which it's not. So and I want to say it's actually kind of a DHS driven thing is to get NFPA to to do this. So I think they did a good job. Uh, I think it'll evolve. And, you know, if you read through it and you see any concerning points, email them, you know, and uh, and write that down because you can go right on NFPA's website and put down questions or put down comments or concerns. So get active in it if uh, you see anything in there that's troubling to you. Yeah, and actually you bring up a good point about about, – uh, emailing them and bringing up stuff that you have problems with it. Mike did say, and, and go look at his live stream presentation again. Uh, I'm paraphrasing what he said here, but this is, I believe they call it a provisional guideline right now, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. um, where it's still open for for uh, modification and stuff like that. And they'll take public comment and stuff like that, you know, and, and integrate what they feel needs to be integrated. And then uh, I believe it becomes permanent sometime next year. If I'm not mistaken, it kind of comes off that that uh, uh, provisional status and becomes a permanent guide, guideline or whatever they call. There's, gotcha. There's there's time, still time for comments, still time for modifications. Go ahead. Cool, 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 cool. Watch the presentation to get the, the exact wording from them. Yeah, I got you. All right, um, all right. Next one down is uh, we had uh, a Seaburn presentation done. By a yep. buddy of mine, man, Devin, uh, who's phenomenal. So it was funny. I was looking at the – right before we started, I was looking – now that I have a Facebook account, I uh, – yeah, I went on to the CTEX Facebook thing, and I saw – because we actually cut the live stream out. 
beforehand, and there's kind of two things on it is, one, you were getting ready to leave, and for whatever reason, didn't we think we, were, we had another phone or something that we could hook up and it ended up not working out? We couldn't use Reed's or something. It was weird. Yeah, Reed needs to uh, get in the 21st century and get an updated iPhone. Yeah, it, it was, uh, we have to tell him, man, that flip phone is so, you know, that it's yeah, not a thing anymore, right? Yeah, Reed, you got to get in the 21st century. You're, toss the flip phone, get rid of the old Motorola, get an iPhone. He's all excited. No, it, it has it, Pong it, on it, man. So, whatever. <laughs> hey, man, no, not Pong. No, I, I love Pong, but that's, that's, that's all it has on it. So, yeah. <laughs> Right, right. Sorry, Reed. We love you. I do. I love Reed. I love Reed, and I don't think there's anybody in this world that can put more f bombs in a row than Reed Smith can, and you got to respect that. He's a, he's the master. Yeah, the only person maybe Scott Kimball can come in close, but Scott's Scott's is from he's from Boston. So, I, I, and that's what I was just going to say. You know, he's got that that you know the Boston heritage going for him. So, I mean, that's that's special. Yeah, it is very spe- very special. Uh, but anyway, so the other side of it is is because of the organizational ties from Devin is we cut it out, and it was funny because I was reading it and people were like, oh, what the hell, man? Why can't you know? It's it's not it's not on us, and it wasn't the material that was sensitive, right? Seaburn uh, for what we're presenting there isn't isn't sensitive. Um, who was giving it, it was was and and there was another comment after that that's like oh you can't you can't what what did he say man he's he was goofy um what is it something along the you can't uh, deny access to the to the to live stream or something like that yeah that? i mean it was, and, and what's funny is we can because it happened dork yeah. you know um but it was it was asked for us by the presenter and the thing is is anybody that's been to soma for you know, since the late '80s, man, uh, when certain organizations give their briefs at SOMA and presentations, like they go through and have people from within their organization walking up and down, making sure no one has photos or does video, and that's just their right. perspective. Yes. That's it. So, uh, so yeah. So that was we, we did that out of the benefit just because it was requested by by who was who was giving the presentation. So the material itself, here's the deal: it's uh, available on our on the website on CTEC. So you can pull up his presentation, no problem. Uh, but because of the unknown of certain questions and things like that, and being on live stream, uh, the presenter has no idea what people in the audience are going to ask or if they're going to ask questions about well how do you know this or what about this or where are you from um and that's that's why it was that's why it wasn't strange that was it pretty easy pretty simple pretty pretty easy no no conspiracy theory oh no conspiracy theory. i mean it was uh it was to me it was an operational security issue and it, and it should have been treated as such yeah you know and and if you can't understand or respect that well i'm sorry yeah my yeah. phone my rules oh you can't deny access dude that was it you can't deny access um but it's weird because just for everybody listening, if you're ever doing a Facebook live stream, you actually can't deny access. So, yeah, it's weird. Uh, based on who's presenting, right? It's a common courtesy. So, uh, so that was that. Um, what else do we have there? Okay, so that was a great presentation. That was the March squared. Check out that. Uh, check out the article that's in JSOM on it. Uh, phenomenal article, and also uh, the presentation is is posted on there in a PDF format. So check it out. Really good stuff. And let's see, what else? What do we got going on? Did they, and you can actually pull up the freeze-dried plasma presentation, I believe, is is on there on the website that you can pull up. 
And here we go, man. <laughs> it's what we've all been waiting for right here. The hypocalcemia and the lethal triad. So... I enjoyed that presentation immensely. All right, man. Just I, don't, what? Okay, so here's the thing. You, um, you stuck up for it when we when you were over at my house and we were doing the pre-conference thing. And when it came up, I don't care who you are, man. When you hear the topic of hypocalcemia and the lethal triad, you do not expect it to be anything remotely close to a dynamic presentation. Do you like, back that. me up on this shit, man? Seriously, Brandon, like, no, I, you know, I agree with you. Okay. I, I, I didn't think it was going to be a dynamic one. I, I thought it was going to be a more, and it was, it was very technical and scientific, but I, it was, I so was you can, you can pull it up, right? You can pull it up, right? Ricky, uh, this gave it. So what I thought was going to be, and I'm just going to throw it out here. So when I read through that really quick, it, we didn't have the names of who's giving it or, or what the focus is going to be of any of these things, man, when it was sent out pre-conference, right? So, so in actuality, this is Reed's fault again. I'm going to blame this on Reed. I'm going to yeah. completely blame this on Reed. I wasn't until you said that, and now I see it clearly that it's Reed's fault. And uh, But I will, I will say this. So I we talked about it, and I made fun of it, I think, a little bit. I poked at it. It's probably not being – it will probably be the one that I go get my coffee and bathroom break on. And oh, you've been of it a lot. I, 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 a little bit. It was very little, very little, actually. If we rewind that tape, we go back. But um, so here's the thing. So Ricky, I apologize, right? Because I know you and your posse are, are listening. I got to hang out with Ricky Brennan after you left and you quit so much. Um, I, I got to hang out with with him and 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 some of his guys, man, who are freaking awesome. Come to find out, uh, Ricky's actually a medic with. 160th, right? So he's with the uh, Special Operations Aviation Regiment and is freaking ridiculously smart guy and made did a great presentation. And whenever you can actually have – be up there as a, as a medic, as a Special Operations medic, and I think this is – I love this because you know, we've seen this a couple times throughout, uh, throughout some of the presentations you see at SOMA, is whenever you can get doctors engaged – at, at yeah. trying to, oh, I don't even know how to say this right, man. Whenever you get doctors engaged at questioning you, right, uh, in a positive manner, and you're able just to freaking work your magic up there, uh, which you'll see in that video, it's it's good, man. He he was he was more than solid. Uh, we're gonna end up having to do a podcast with with Ricky, man. That dude was. Uh, was balls out, drop the mic type of type yeah. of dude, man. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. Franklin should be very, very happy on that that mm, presentation from from one of his uh, freaking pipe hitters, man. Uh, that was really good. So if you get a chance, pull that up onto the uh, the CTEC Facebook page. You'll be able to check that out. Uh, gave a great presentation. Uh, I had to like go into like. Wikipedia and shit, and like pull up half the words he was saying. But it was, it was, he was, a, he's a smart dude, man, smart young kid who's going to be yeah, definitely get, a freaking baller, man. Yeah, I couldn't agree more on that. And you hit it right, you know, with the engaging the doctors. I mean, not, not just, I mean, mainly the doctors. I mean, 
but there was a lot of good interaction with him and a lot of good questions and a lot of good conversation about the whole thing. And yeah, you got to watch it. Just go watch the presentation. You do. And and the other side of it is just just to throw it in there is we deal with a lot of this quite a bit. And I'm not saying this was actually what happened, but what I loved about it was he's an operational medic, man. Like he has run some stuff. And so when he speaks, he's speaking at a non-theoretical type of thing. He's, he's briefing on instances that he has dealt with. He has had to problem solve and make happen in really bad environments, you know? So you got to get props out to, to that. And so no matter what you come at that somebody learned, you know, in, you know, in med school or in this or whatever, like this dude was putting it out there overseas in a really bad situation with patients that were in really bad shape and he was making it happen made some interesting uh observations that usually get passed up by people and is acting on them and is bringing stuff at an awareness level and it's it was it was really interesting so it's hard to argue with somebody that's that's done that and and then to hear how he kept his composure was phenomenal oh yeah i mean he he welcomed that challenge i think to his his premise um and to be honest you know anybody that that brought challenges up to him he he had already he had done his research so well you know he was able to address those i believe yeah yeah he did a phenomenal job so and then i ended up seeing a, a couple of his guys uh, like a week week and a half ago, uh, we were doing some vertical stuff, and we talked about it. And they were joking with me about how he heard that I mentioned that I thought it was going to be boring. So I felt I felt bad, but uh, it wasn't. It was good, phenomenal job, Ricky. I apologize. So uh, so yeah, we'll close that book and we'll do a podcast with him, and he'll say a bunch of big words that I won't understand and I'll have to ask him and show my ass. So, uh, what else? Uh, we did some open guideline, uh, discussions, which really were non consequential. You'll see that. Um, so basically I think that was it. Uh, the only thing I wanted to bring up is at the end of it, we did announce that, and I don't think this was, this was on the video that it was that first day, um, during the C-Tech meeting that we actually got the San Bernardino, the official San Bernardino AAR released. So it is available on a couple of websites. I can tell you it's on Element Rescue. If you go to Element Rescue's blog, you'll see the AAR, and it's a PDF that you can download. And we announced it that day, and I think, I, I don't know, man, I think like we had like almost four or 5,000 freaking downloads, man, in the first six or eight hours, man, that it was up there. But it's, uh, it's a big AAR, and I think, that we'll probably do a series of podcasts with some of the authors that were on it just because to give the reader the readers a little bit more insight into what came about it. So part of it was because an AAR was released that had some inaccuracies in it that dealt with San Bernardino. And so Chief Hartwig, which is San Bernardino County's fire chief, pushed it through, got it done with legal, which was kind of the binding point for any AAR got it released that day and then I was able to brief it a little bit at the CFED conference the week after that and Chief Hartwig also is intimately involved there with CFED with the California Fire Chiefs and was able to brief the release of the AAR so it's it's a big one man and Brendan you were involved in, in writing this also 
it, it was a long endeavor, and so it's a comprehensive AAR. And what I would say about that is when we started that thing, it was brought on by, obviously, by Chief Hartwig. And the response was done by the city of San Bernardino, which was going bankrupt during the time that the event actually occurred, uh, December 2nd, 2015. After that event occurred, they went bankrupt. And so at that point, the firefighters, all the guys that responded to that were getting jobs in other places. Their city was going bankrupt. Some of, you know, some of them, they were going through the, the deal being absorbed by the county and other ones were getting jobs in other places. So there was a lot of, of craziness that was going on, but they did some initial interviews at that. And we'll get more into it when we talk, do a podcast actually on the thing. But just as a Cliff's notes, it, we interviewed a ton of people. So from emergency management to the, some members of the SWAT team that made, made entry to the SWAT medic, to the sheriff's air medic, to the guys who ran the treatment triage area, to the transport people, to the hospitals, to the, the list goes on and on and on of the interviews that, that went on through there to, to piece this, this whole thing together. So it goes through, we couldn't really do an academic format for it where that's kind of what you normally read because technically to be within that academic format of a paper, you have to have certain principles that are agreed upon that would be, I don't want to say scientific laws, but they are academically accepted standards. And when you get into what most of our people listening to this do that are first responders, it's not going to come as a surprise that there there is no academic standard for your response to an active shooter event because it's going to change every time, right? You change one thing, you change everything. So that standard actually will never be there. And so we really couldn't do that. So we reached out and we talked to Chris Hart, who used to uh, be with the, um, what was he, with the National Tra- uh, Transportation Authority. And so we looked at it and we did an HRO Obviously, it was an HRO AAR, but the format we followed was similar to NTSB in that we took a bunch of different views of it. So, you know, if if you're you just want the nuts and you know meat and potatoes of it, you can literally just read like the first eighteen pages and be done. Got the whole story. If you're getting into more of a programmatic type of thing where you're writing programs and you're looking at the minutia of these things, then you may extend that down to like you know page you know forty three, forty four, or something like that. If you are in emergency management, then there's another section in there that's going to be relevant for you. So when you go through there and, and then all the appendixes, so, you know, yes, it's an HRO. So if you don't know anything about HROs, well, there's a portion in there that describes an HRO and then applies the response patterns that, that were HRO and how that applies into it. So when you get into it, it's a large 118 page paper, but it's put into where all the supporting data that you would need, depending on what angle you're looking at it from is in there for you. So I, I'm trying to think of any better way to really explain it than that. No, I think you paints a good picture of how to tackle that thing. Cause like you said, it is a big AR, but you can, you can, you know, focus on what your profession is, you know, to get the, the most out of it for yourself and then get into the other areas as you, find more time yeah and i think the biggest part of it was really what we've been talking about forever is we really try to outline what the environment is to say that 
you know, basically what we've been harping on, you know, those, those strict SOPs are not going to work in that environment. Um, you know, I think the beauty of the San Bernardino, when you read it, is going to be that they followed no national standard. I love that, right? They did what they do day to day and up the tempo, and that's why they're effective at it. If we had a standard that was just for the, this is only how we do active shooter events, then we're going to suck at it because there's a good chance you're never going to run on an active shooter event in your career. Then again, right. there's always the chance you are, right? You, you know, and it's it's one of those things where we they they don't occur with such a fluency in your in your individual city that you can really tweak it down. It's not like a fire response. Like you run enough fires that that you can hey listen that didn't work out well if we run another one in a high rise and blah 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 then we should think about doing this this and this we just you don't right. run with them with this, the fluency right they happen much more frequently but when we look at it per per city per municipality that's not it so you know and that that's where a lot of dumb stuff gets put in because we don't run them enough that people back do that's not going to work at all so you know i always give it the example that uh you know, buddy Ryan Galdez, uh, who's going to be doing some podcasts. I was going to try and get him on this one with us because he was there the whole time. So he recently left uh, a special forces group um, and has got some incredible operational experience. And he was at the SeaTac meeting the whole time, uh, except this week he ended up starting off with like a head cold. And then it turned into like his ear wasn't feeling good. And then two days ago, it was like eardrum ruptured. And now he's waiting for his other one. I'm like, this is terrible. But uh, so, yeah, so he obviously couldn't make the podcast tonight. But we're going to do some with him in the future. I think that'll be really good because he's got a great perspective and his operational experience is incredible from from many different many different realms. But when you're when you're looking at that, I think the big take home point that him and I were were doing. He's also on that paper with us. Is you got it? You just have to keep it loose. You know, you have to be able to have guys adapt on the fly, and it's what they do all the time anyway. So, you know, I'll take it from a fire side, and it can be easily applied into the the police side, law enforcement side. Also, is if I had to tell anybody who's in the fire service listening right now, give me the one acronym, give me the one technique that works on every fire you'll ever respond to, right? Just give me the three or four things that, that will work for, and, and get me successful fire ground operations for the rest of my career. We laugh, right? That That's not a thing, right? Because you're like, okay, it depends, right? Are, are, is, it a, is it a room and content fire? Is, is it a residential fire? Is it a high-rise fire? Is it an apartment fire? Is it, what, what are you dealing with? Is it, is it a large commercial complex like a Home Depot? All those things are different. The, the time it takes you to get there, you know, what was a, a room and content fire, um, but because the closest two stations were out on car accidents at that time or a medical car in a car accident, now the third end station is who's getting there. So they get there at the eight-minute mark, ten-minute mark. So what was potentially room and content if the other stations were in is now coming through the ease and it's coming through the roof. It's a whole different thing just right. because of happenstance, man, just because of, of the nonlinearity of it. So – so you you can't do this. Hey, this is how you do this, and that's what everybody wants. Yet at the same time, we take people like cops, like fire, that always has to call audibles because that's every day in their job. You know, um, you know, it's, it's the guy responding to a domestic, and he gets there, and the you know the husband's got a gun running back into his house, and the wife and kid are shot in the front yard. You know, like, okay, didn't see that coming. Um, but now you're dealing with it, right? So th- that's always in the forefront. But all of a sudden, we want to make 
our, our response to the to an active shooter linear, and then when we have hindsight, it's screwed up. So there's a lot of friction points that are addressed in the AAR, right, from national levels like Hartford Consensus and Stop the Bleed and putting that into context and mm-hmm. and friction points of of basically naysayers who don't understand that environment. And so that, that's, that takes up quite a bit of that is, is explaining all that. Got it. It's good info, though, man. It yeah. needs to be, you know, anybody that hasn't downloaded it yet, download it, read it, learn it, adjust it, and we'll, you know, then you can make informed arguments uh, with your agency. Yeah, absolutely, man. So that's kind of it, man. Anything to add at all? Brendan Hartford, uh, male dancer? No, I think we've uh, uh, ripped on Reed enough on this one, and uh, you've sufficiently made up to Ricky, so I think we're good. Okay, those are, those are the two big things, I think, right there. Those, those are the two big things. Oh, and, and yeah, the, the live stream, people can watch that. You know, we gave them a little bit of info on the last meeting. Absolutely. Awesome, man. Well, listen, take it easy. We'll talk soon. All right. We'll get it going. They had a trouble, dude. All right, man. See you, bro. Bye. Yeah.